The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A really good morning to you this Friday. You're watching Squat Box Europe with the magnificent Karen Cho and myself, Steve Sedgwick. And these are your headlines. The Dow logs its longest losing streak since August, only three days, mind you, uh, while stocks across Asia sit in mixed territory amid US-China trade deal doubts. The Hong Kong campus siege drags into a sixth day as the Chinese-controlled city prepares to vote in local elections amid tight security. ECB President Christine Lagarde prepares to give her first high-level speech at the European Banking Conference amid concerns over record low rates. Don't miss our exclusive interview with fellow speaker Martin Zelka, CEO of Commerce Bank. European consumer goods giants Unilever and Henkel are reportedly in talks with US cosmetics maker Coty for its $7 billion beauty portfolio. Plus the rise of the robots. Sophia joins Squawk Box to show off her new skills. Stay tuned to find out which of the three Squawk anchors she likes best. red flashing up on Wall Street as investors just pull back from some of the fairly heady levels we've had on markets, uh, some, some record peaks, of course, in recent weeks. Now, what we've got now for the major averages, the Dow posting its longest losing streak since August. But as Steve mentioned, it's been not much of a losing streak, only limited to a number of days. Over the course of the week, though, that said, we may see a reversal, which uh, would suggest that uh, investors are really taking a slightly different view on markets after all the risk on that we have enjoyed in recent weeks. Uh, the S&P its longest losing streak in about two months. When you take a look at different components of the markets, Dow Jones Transports also fell into the close, the third negative session. Also, that component of the market, don't forget that scene is somewhat of a litmus test for confidence uh, in stocks on pace for their second negative week in a row. So investors uh, just uh, having to debate whether some of the buying we've seen in recent weeks is warranted given the mixed signals on trade. There have been a lot of front loading in the markets on expectations that phase one would be inked by now. That has simply not happened. There has not been any certainty that a trade deal will materialize anytime soon. Now, I want to take you to a couple of the, the big retail stocks. We saw a lot of movement in that sector. And don't forget, we're approaching that key holiday period for a lot of investors, a lot of consumers. And what we had, Nordstrom sh- uh, shares. We can start here, fairly upmarket department store, big pop in the shares, up 8% this after we saw the company reporting its fiscal third quarter earnings that beat analyst estimates, also narrowed its 2019 earnings forecast. The others, though, you can see mixed bag, uh, William Sonoma, that stock reversing in session. And we saw uh, the company's uh, reported third quarter earnings largely in line with what was expected, but uh, same store sales at the flagship down 2.1%. So telling you there is just a little bit of softness. Gap, though, uh, just to shout out that one, it's been a store that uh, I think had a fairly significant upside many years, a uh, number of years ago. It's been trying to get back into the game with so many discounters there. The earnings sales Beat, the retailer is making some progress on splitting the business. Uh, the company has gone on to talk about the one strong Old Navy brand. It says it struggled to move women's apparel off the shelves. So they had some third quarter same store sales decline about 4%. There's a bit of a mixed bag for Gap. Hence only a slight increase in that share price. 
let me take you to what we're seeing on foreign exchange markets. Here's the early picture as we take a look across the board. Dollar slightly weaker to the Japanese yen, but gaining versus the Chinese currency. Elsewhere, a bit of appetite for both sterling and euro, making some minor gains versus the dollar in the morning session. A quick look at WTI early on this morning in the trade uh, negative, and you can see falls of about three quarters of one percent for some of these trades. Typically, we start to get the same questions around demand for oil when there are question marks around a trade deal being reached between the U.S. and China. Gold prices just lifting at the margin, about a tenth of a percent, 14.65 on the trade today. Asian markets, uh, this is how we're faring across the board to wrap up uh, the trading week. Chinese stocks trading weaker. Shenzhen in particular, 1.3 percent. Decent numbers, modestly high for South Korea and Hong Kong. And if we take a look at the opening calls in Europe, let's just see how we're setting up for the trading week. A bit of weakness has come into the mix here in Europe as well. If you take a look at the overarching uh, benchmark, the Stockship 600, its fourth negative session in a row for the first time since its uh, five-day winning streak ended. So some of that red ink starting to set in, although this morning, because they were looking like we will lift off some of the lows that we've had in recent trading sessions as investors just start to price some more risk. Uh, the DAX, for instance, week to date, trading down by about eight-tenths of a percent before we How start the show today. Did you good, enjoy your very good, trip? You. Good speaking to the mayor. Yeah, it was really interesting. I think his tone on trade was the takeaway message where you've had a lot of investors obviously front-loading into markets. Mm. He was saying well, we could get a limited resolution soon that's possible but mm. in terms of solving all the big issues overall don't expect that ha- to happen for a long time so he admitted it M- admitted that we're not going to get no admitted that the french presidency of the g7 was a complete failure because you think it's up to them to solve a u.s china trade no deal. because they didn't achieve anything on iran which they tried to do down in Biarritz. they didn't achieve anything on trade deals they didn't achieve, any- achieve anything on coordinated global policy on they anything did on gender equality they moved forward with that there was a resolution to try and put and gender again, equality on the agenda as important as climate may i say these issues but they are not the key issues for the world economy which is what the g7 was originally brought in to sort out which is to have global coordinated economic policy of the richest nations on the planet they failed so you admitted it, i yeah? don't think that it's up to them to solve a relationship issue between the u.s and china it's not that's just us and china you wait till he turns those big howitzers on europe as well that's going to happen quite soon as well despite the brilliant schmoozing from monsieur le maire and monsieur macron of uh, president trump as well they avoided any arguments there and then but what I'm saying is there are a whole host of issues which haven't been resolved. I think there are bigger issues that are around a European trade war. To me, that seemed like it was still very much on the back burner, that they're trying to avoid it become a, a dominant issue for the rest of this year and if they're early next year. Mm. And that conversation, as you can imagine, listening to your American counterparts, having very close relationships, yeah. is about working out where the power lies in these types of negotiations if they end up in that same situation. And, of course, we haven't completely seen the Europeans escape. I, I, I'm being mean, of course. It's, it's not up for the French to try and sort out every global problem. But there was an effort to sort out a load of issues and they didn't make any progress there. A um, couple of other little points. One, how many times have we said the market has rallied on the back of trade? I think 5,621. You mean mean this week or you do mean over the course of the last few weeks? Well, exactly. So the fact that we are 0.77% off the record high uh, for the S&P, I'm going to take with a pinch of salt people who say, oh my goodness me, we're having a record run today or three days down, what have you. Since the election, the S&P is up 45.06% plus invested dividends. Second point, your wall uh, echoed what we'd heard earlier this week from the likes of Target, which you and I talked about extensively about, right. is that bricks and mortar is fighting back. And in some cases, not all, because there are some absolutely disastrous stories out there, and Black Friday will only exacerbate those, bricks and mortar can fight back. That has been proved this week. Yes. 
I want to just push on to the, some of the market complacency. I think retail is very much a component that could change over the coming weeks when we get to Black Friday, Cyber Monday. So park that there for a minute because I'll I think the jury it. is Consider still out a little parked. bit. But Not as well as you parked. But <laughs> one of the big issues, I think, has been complacency in the market. And I don't think it's a bad thing that we've come off a little bit from the highs. Does anyone feel comfortable with a market that keeps on going up at this point when we have uncertainty around trade and significant uncertainty around the Fed now and whether there's going to be more cutting? You're right. But if you look at every other asset class, and I was talking to someone about, uh, it was one of our guests, about where you, if you have any money, where do you put it? Where is your pension? Where are your individual, uh, where's your active money if you had it? In fact, I know who it was. It was a, it was a good friend of mine who's been in the market for almost as long as I have. And he was like, well, it has to be equities. So right. bonds, people are terrified about what, what the situation, and we'll come on to the Labour government proposals or uh, what a Labour government would do in the United Kingdom a little bit later on as well. People are terrified about um, other supposed risk-free assets or risky, risk-less assets. Property, people are concerned about. I don't know where one who has money, and we'll come on to a, a story, a very interesting story about Coty a little bit later on, where does one put it? You're coming up to the, the whole Tina comment again. There is a, a no other alternative. I think you're right. Which is so you've got something are, coming out from Shea as well, Exactly. We're just sort of looking at some of these comments for any tone on uh, the trade war. And effectively, they've also spoken about the economy. President uh, Xi saying the long-term improving trend for China's economy will not change. The economy has great resilience potential and room for manoeuvre, as uh, this is also reported on the wires by the Xinhua News Agency. The um, comments, she's speaking in a meeting with International Monetary Fund Chief Kristalina Georgieva, who said uh, he was has full confidence in China's development, according to Xinhua. Also, uh, she going on to say that China did not start the trade dispute with the United States, that they're not afraid of a trade war, will not flinch from such a fight. And this is interesting, given we've had slightly softer language reported in the Wall Street uh, recently, that there may be some soft uh, overtures from the Chinese trying to get a deal done. But these are fairly strong comments. She wants to work out phase one agreement on trade with the US, says if necessary, we will fight back. So, but they've been working actively for a deal. Thank you, Karen. Uh, at least another eight protesters have surrendered from the besieged Hong Kong Polytechnic University, leaving only an estimated several dozen inside. This city's new police chief said there was no deadline for clearing the campus and reiterated he wants a peaceful solution. This as the city prepares to vote in local elections on Sunday amid tight security. Emily, you've been covering this in Hong Kong. Look, I've done a little bit of work, nowhere near as much as you have, uh, on these elections, these 452 uh, district councillors, which will be elected across 18 different councils. And I was looking back at last time, and it's absolutely fascinating. For a start, there's a plethora of parties, both pro-Beijing uh, and what is being framed as pro-democracy. Last time around, it was the former camp that was in the predominance. Are we expecting something very meaningful this time around? I understand there are 4.13 million voters, but last time a vast amount of people didn't get involved. And as one piece of copy I read said, it's very sleepy, these elections. It won't be this time around, I presume. No, that's right, uh, Steve. Uh, th there's a very different feeling on the ground here for these types of elections this year. Uh, this is a very low-level election, uh, neighborhood uh, issues uh, that these district councillors uh, deal with, uh, traffic lights, uh, the number of trash cans on the street, uh, whether or not, of course, uh, the, the traffic lights are, are working at uh, the proper intervals, uh, that's, that sort of thing. Um, 
but because we are enduring something like 25 weekends of protest, this is being seen as a referendum of support for the protest for this movement that we've been seeing here in Hong Kong. Let me tell you where I am right now. This is a mock polling station. Uh, on Sunday, this will become a real polling station. So this was set up. There's four of them across the territory to get people familiar with what to expect when voting day comes. Uh, what we have to do is you bring your permanent ID card. So only permanent residents are allowed to vote and you have to be registered, of course, uh, and that will allow you to pick up a ballot. This is fake. Uh, one of these and they'll give you a board with a little bit of a, a stamp on it. So you go into the uh, polling booth there, you make your choice, you fold up your ballot and then you deposit it to the ballot box right there. That is the process of the voting. Uh, pretty straightforward, uh, but this, of course, uh, getting people familiar with what they need to, to do when the sixth district council elections take place on Sunday. 1,090 candidates are vying for 452 seats across 18 districts. This is the first time that all constituencies will have be contested on both sides of the aisle, the pan-Democrats and the pro-establishment camp. Uh, the pro-democracy are fielding more than 500 candidates, and we have the DAB, this is the largest pro-establishment camp, putting forward 181 for the 452 seats. Now, back in 2015, the pandems were able to secure 30 more seats. What's going to be happening this time remains to be seen, uh, but there is this expectation that uh, the pandems could maybe gain a little bit more ground. Uh, it is currently standing three to one, so it's three pro-establishment for every one pan-Democrat in the current district council. Uh, this is a low-level uh, neighborhood election, uh, but uh, what we have seen is uh, this expectation that it's going to be taking place on Sunday. There was this worry with all these protests going on uh, the past two weeks, so we've seen an escalation in the violence. But just in the last two days, a calming, if you will, relatively calm as we lead into the weekend because the government has already said that there needs to be three prerequisites in order for the election to take place as planned. Violence and all kinds of duress must stop immediately. The blockage of tunnels, highways and roads should cease and the destruction of transport facilities should halt all together. So this needs to happen in order for the pro uh, the elections to take place as planned. If it does not, uh, then it'll be pushed out by one week to December the 1st next Sunday. According to the District Council ordinance, it can only be postponed for 14 days. So it'll be up to the crisis management team to decide if it's affected by riot, open violence, or any danger to public health or safety, then the chief executive will be postponing the event. Uh, but uh, all indications so far is that the election will take place on the 24th of November Sunday. The polls open at 7.30 in the morning and will run all the way till 10.30 p.m. And then each of these uh, ballot stations will close up and the ballot counting will take place in each of these locations. There's more than 600 of them, 600 of them across Hong Kong. And so we should get the results trickling in as early as the early hours of Monday morning. So we will see whether or not this election will have any sway uh, in terms of uh, the pandemic Democrats or whether or not the majority will stay with the pro-establishment side. Thank you very much for that, Emily. The U.S. government has granted Microsoft a license to export mass market software to Huawei. Soft, Microsoft said it appreciated the action but did not elaborate on which products had been approved for sale. It comes after the Trump administration said some suppliers would be allowed to do business with the embattled Chinese tech giant again. The U.S. Commerce Department has received around 300 license requests. As the trade war takes its toll on U.S. imports from China, find out which country is benefiting from the ongoing tensions. So that's on CNBC.com. 
Ahead on the show, don't miss our exclusive interview with Commerce Bank CEO Martin Zilka. We'll talk about the ECB, the German banking sector and more just ahead of Christine Lagarde's first major speech as ECB president. And uh, just a reminder, if you can't get enough of Scorkbox, be sure to tune in for our very own podcast. You can head to cmc.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Have a listen and download today's episode. For our listeners out there, stick around for some more. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. Welcome back. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has been indicted on charges of bribery, fraud and breach of trust. It's the latest in a corruption scandal involving backroom deals with media owners and lavish gifts from a Hollywood mogul. NBC's Richard Engel filed this report. He's a survivor, but tonight Benjamin Netanyahu is in trouble. After long deliberations, Israel's Attorney General, one of Netanyahu's former close advisors, indicted the Prime Minister on charges of bribery, fraud, and breach of trust. Netanyahu called it a political coup. He's also called it a witch hunt. The charge sheet says differently. Netanyahu is accused of doling out favors to media tycoons in exchange for flattering news coverage and hundreds of thousands of dollars in gifts. Netanyahu is down, but not out. Politics are in turmoil in Israel. Two elections and three attempts to form a coalition have failed to produce a new government for a year. President Trump, a big supporter, has been trying to help the Israeli leader, changing four decades of American policy, legitimizing Jewish settlements, a step Netanyahu has been calling for. He's hoping voters in Israel will reward him for his close relations with the president of the United States. Netanyahu could face a new election within a month, and this indictment may end up being a major factor. Polls in Israel indicate the majority of Israelis don't want their leader to be simultaneously running the country and trying to defend his name in court. Richard Engel, NBC News, London. ECB President Christine Lagarde will make her first major policy speech later this morning following three weeks of meetings, a lot of speculation and even an off-site retreat. Since taking office on the 1st of November, Lagarde has been working on healing rifts between the ECB's executive board and its 19 members. Investors are seeking clues on her governing approach and policy views in particular. Any indication on any potential changes to the central bank's record low interest rates, particularly topical. Let's get out to Annette for more. Annette, it is a long list. How much of this are we actually going to glean from the first outing from Christine Lagarde? <laughs> 
Well, actually, I don't think we're going to get that much of uh, news from Christine Lagarde in her first monetary policy speech. Of course, she was present during the last monetary policy session in October, and she knows that she has to stick to what has been decided back in September, probably for quite some time, unless we see a surprise uptick in inflation, and that doesn't look like... Uh, something very much realistic. So I guess she'll give us more of the tone from Mario Draghi and perhaps a little bit more about how she wants to reuni reunify um, all the different voices inside the ECB. As to what I'm hearing currently is that she, uh, people think that it's kind of good that she's more like type of a politician personality because she can bring back all the different stakeholders to one table and knows better how to sort of moderate uh, uh, yeah, a, a common idea inside the ECB. But we'll see. Her speech will start at 9.20 CT, her on the ground in Frankfurt. And I guess there's a lot of focus on her as it is her first monetary policy speech in her capacity as the president of the European Central Bank. But clearly, a lot of Basti on the ground is again on the profitability of the banking scene. There are, of course, bankers from outside Germany who are doing business in Germany, like Jean-Pierre Lumière from BNP Paribas. We spoke to him just last week, and he's quite happy about the business actually they are doing in Germany. Others are complaining about low margins and do, of, of course, have a very low profitability like the German players, Deutsche Bank and Commerzbank and the Savings Bank. So I guess we will we'll get a very diverse debate. This week was a full week here in Germany when it comes to banking events, financial stability events. We had two reports out, one from the ECB on on uh, the financial stability as such in the Eurozone and the other one from the Bundesbank. And I spoke to both... Um representatives from the institutions uh, responsible for financial stability and I obviously had to ask them about the problem of low profitability of the German and European banks. Take a listen of what they said. Two main challenges. The first one is uh, you know, the low profitability of the European banks. Uh, this is something that is reflected on the valuations of the European banks in the stock market uh, and I think that uh, you know it has uh, it has implications in terms of uh, capital raising, in, ter in terms of capital generation, even in terms of consolidation. And secondly, you know, this uh, low interest rate environment uh, also affects the investment strategy of the asset managers. If low profitability is the result of more capital, more resilience, then it's not necessarily bad for financial stability. If it's the sign of too intense competition and, and if we really have overcapacities in the system, then we should be thinking about how to deal with that, with that issue. And what's your assessment here? Do we have overcapacity in the system? Because clearly the ECB is arguing that there is some. Yes, I think so. I mean, there, there have been many studies for Europe because also the, the, the countries in Europe are different, the financial systems are different. But overall, I think we have indications that there are overcapacities. Low profitability is one of these indications. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.